you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be looking, uh, this is actually the second half of a a two-part series that we started two weeks ago. Actually, we skipped last week to look at a different passage. We're going to be looking at sort of the end of this experience between Jesus and the woman at the well in John chapter 4. So we're going to be looking at verses 13 all the way through verse 42. Friends, listen, this is God's word. Jesus said to her, this is the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor." Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is God's word. So during the last several weeks, we've been looking at different passages of Scripture that show us the church that we all want. Okay? Um, We saw, uh, we want to be a church that's welcoming, right? Where when you come, you feel the warmth of welcome. And so we looked at a passage um, about how God loves the sojourners. He loves the strangers, you know, and then we, we want a church that's filled with grace. And so we saw that with the first sermon on this passage with this woman and Jesus at the well. And then last week we saw that we want to be a church that worships. 
you know, where we are reminded continually that our best life is that life that revolves around Jesus. And so today, we're returning to Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well, and we're going to learn something else about the church that we all want, the church that we want to be a part of, that we want to be. Um, We want to be a church that grows and shares. Okay? A church that grows and shares. You know, we want to be a church that is filled with people who are growing spiritually and then open and sharing your experiences, our experiences with Jesus with other people. Um, We want to be a church like this because we want people to know that Jesus really does make a difference in our lives, that he really does make a tangible difference in who we are and what we do and in how we feel in in the approach that we have to life. He really brings healing and power and growth into our lives. Um, that his message is really good news on lots of different fronts. And so we looked last uh, a couple weeks ago at the woman's encounter with the grace of Jesus, and now we're going to see what happened. Okay? And we're going to hear um, how Jesus changes her perspective as well as the, dis- the perspective of the disciples. Okay? And we're going to see this in three points. So if you want to take notes there on page 7, um, we're going to see first that grace can't be contained. Okay, grace can't be contained. Second, grace includes you. And then third, grace brings people to Jesus. Okay, so grace can't be contained. Grace includes you, and then grace brings people to Jesus. So first, grace can't be contained. Uh, This is really verses 28 to 30. Um, This woman has this encounter with Jesus at the well, uh, and then she runs off. Right, verse 28, she left her water jar and then went away into town. She runs off to tell everybody, everybody, um, that Jesus has changed her. She goes out and tells them. She's, it's like she's running into town. She's like, everybody, everybody, listen. I, I met this guy, and, and he's different. Jesus is different. I, I'm different. I, I never understood, but now I do. I, I understand about him. I, I understand more about me. Yeah. But it's, it's really more about him. And, and, and it's, 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 I think he might be the Savior. We've been hoping for the Christ, this, this Christ to come, the Messiah, the Savior who was supposed to bring a renovation and a healing and, and, and power into the world where God was supposed to bring hope and forgiveness. And, and, and I think this might be him. Right? She enters into town with this sort of exuberance. She just tells everybody. And, you know, I was thinking about this. Like, can you kind of imagine what that would have been like? Right, if you're living in a small town and you have this woman who comes in sort of like with her hair on fire in a sense, right? She comes in, this woman who used to conscientiously keep separate from the rest of the town, right? This woman who lived in shame and in isolation, right? Who had cut her off, cut herself off from everybody because she couldn't bear the reputation that she had. And all of a sudden now she comes into this town and she is speaking openly to everyone. It's odd too when you see exactly what she says. Look at what her testimony is. Verse 29. This is what she's telling people. Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. That's her good news. 
That's her gospel. You know, this is the good news of Jesus. Hey, Jesus confronted me with my five plus husbands. You got to meet him. He'll do the same thing for you. All right, come on, let's. Right? And yet that's what she says. It's kind of odd. I'm not sure that uh, all the evangelism books really tell you to follow this example here, at least not with the words that she says. Right? Come on, you got to meet this guy. He'll tell you all the worst stuff you ever did. Why does she share this? Think about that. Like, why is this her testimony? As I thought about it this week, I thought, well, this really kind of was the stunner for her in her encounter with Jesus. Like, this was the thing that changed the conversation and made her realize there was more to life and more to Jesus than just a conversation about water. Right? We talked about this in depth. But look at verse 19. When Jesus does confront her, that's the point in verse 19 when she says, Oh, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Like, there's something more to you. You're not just a man. Right? That was the moment that she realized that Jesus was more than just a man. And so this was her experience. That was that pivotal point in the conversation that really changed everything for her. And so she tells it. I think secondly and more importantly, I think she shared this because this was the place specifically where she experienced freedom from her old life. Okay, this was the point in, in time. This was the place uh, where, where she experienced freedom from her old life. Okay, we talked about this two weeks ago uh, when, we, when we looked at this conversation in more detail. Jesus wasn't just beating her over the head with the Bible, but what Jesus was doing was Jesus was getting to the heart of her life. Okay, he was helping her to see that this woman had been enslaved by her need for men. Tim Keller has written a book called Counterfeit Gods, The Empty Promises of Money, Sex, and Power, and the Only Hope That Matters. Well, I think just sometimes a title can be all you need. If that book is on your shelf, you just read the title. That, that can help you grow, I think. Uh, but in that book, Tim quotes a woman who says this, Men were my alcohol. Only if I was on a man's arm could I face life and feel good about myself. This woman had come to look to men for the kind of deep affirmation and acceptance that only God can provide. And as a result, she became a slave to love and relationships. And I think there are lots of men and women today both who feel like their identity, their sense of self-worth is wrapped up in whether or not they're in a relationship. And Jesus was trying to help this woman to let go of that aspect of her life. He was saying, you know what? If you want to start a relationship with God, God would like you to let go of this thing that is holding you in slavery. It's holding you in bondage, and I want to set you free. That's what Jesus was doing. And so it's interesting because she wants to share that because that was the place where she experienced grace. At that moment, the deepest, darkest secret in her life, the thing that was most shameful to her, Jesus spoke to that and made it better. And so she wanted everybody 
to know that. For her, her past became a doorway and a pathway that led her to Jesus. Jesus does the same thing today. Those things that enslave us, those things that we live our lives around, Jesus says, come away from those things and I will save you. I will save you and give you what you need. I can imagine the folks who are hearing her, you know, hearing her say, come and see a man who told me all I ever did. Maybe they were thinking, why are you so excited about this? We've been telling you all that you ever did and you haven't been listening to us. Right? I can imagine her responding, well, you spoke to make me feel guilty. But this man, Jesus, spoke to set me free. In the place where she was most broken, Jesus placed his forgiving touch and has given her hope. I think that sometimes Christians talk about sin in ways that are not helpful. I think that sometimes we can be, you know, we can beat people over the head, you know, and make them feel really guilty, make them feel really bad. Um, and we don't share the good news that Jesus brings healing and forgiveness. If we were to I mean, this is interesting because when you think about what this woman was going through and the way Jesus ministered and loved to her, you know, to be able to talk about sin differently, to be able to realize that, you know what, what sin is, these are things that pull us away from God. That's what sin is. Sin is the stuff in our lives that we pursue to get security and satisfaction and affirmation outside of God. And the reason God makes such a big deal about sin is because it's like an alarm. It's like God wants the alarms to be going off. That's why we have a conscience. It's not so that we just wallow in our guilt. It's because God wants us to know that the only thing that can really satisfy is a relationship with him. That that he wants to work in our lives to set us free from pursuing meaning and identity and purpose apart from him. He doesn't want us, because there's nothing else that can bear the weight of your identity. No relationship can do that, right? No career can do that. No amount of money can make you feel worthy enough to have you feel good for your life. You're always going to want more. You're always going to need more. And so God says, look, these good things in your life, relationships are good, career can be good, money can be good. These, these good things in your life, if you make them ultimate things, they will never, ever satisfy. If you put these things on the throne of your life and you revolve your life around those things, they cannot bear the weight because your identity, your significance, your meaning in life has to come from me comes from a relationship with God. And so our sin, what it does is our sin cuts us off from God. It puts barriers. You know, like you have a conflict in a relationship, right? And then there's something there. And until it gets dealt with, 
right? The, the, the love and the grace that flows gets dammed up. There's a wall there. I mean, that's how it works with God. When we put things in between us and God, we experience despair. We experience frustration. We experience that unending, bottomless pit of, of need that never, ever goes away. That's what sin is. Like, that's why the Bible makes a big deal about sin. It's not to beat us up. It's not to make us feel awful. It's to bring us back to the one who can really satisfy. I have had many conversations with people, especially with non-Christians, and I've explained that this is what sin is, that this is the Bible's description of what sin is and what it does. And even non-Christians have said, man, I've never ever heard it like that. Like that makes sense to me. Like that makes me better understand why Christians talk about sin the way they do. For this woman, she had been brought back to health and wholeness. Like she'd been given this new meaning. She'd been given this new relationship with God. And what God had done, what Jesus was doing, was exactly what we read from Zephaniah chapter 3. You know, in the bulletin on page 4 there, um, verse 19, this is what she experienced. God says, I will give glory and fame to my former exiles wherever they have been mocked and shamed. Do you want to know what grace does in your life? Grace comes upon you. God's forgiveness and his love, they come upon you. And in a sense, it's kind of like you just, it, it just covers everything. But what happens is God knows that part of your life where you feel the most guilt, the most brokenness, the most shame. And God lets his grace find its way into that spot. And what God says is, in that place, wherever they have been mocked and shamed, wherever in your life you have been shamed, God puts his grace and he gives glory and fame. Yeah. He puts his glory. Because what he does is he puts the blood of Jesus in that place. Man. When he does that, when he puts... Because then you get to hear Jesus himself say, Forgiven. It's okay. You are now part of my family. When grace hits in that place, you can't contain it. You can't contain it. This woman's shame became the place where she most wanted to talk about Jesus. She felt the assurance of his forgiveness. She felt peace because the king said, I've been forgiven. 
Jesus will say the exact same thing to you if you confess your sins today. This woman was known for her reputation. It was her identity. She was the woman with five husbands. Right? And yet Christ can absorb this. Because this is no longer her. She doesn't need it anymore. She may still struggle with it, but it is no longer her identity. What she could say is what Jesus would invite all of you to say. And that is, I am not my sin. I know there's stuff, that repeated, habitual, those things that we struggle with. And you get to a place where you feel like, well, I'm just never ever going to be through with this. I am this kind of person. I am a person who's addicted. I, I am an addict. Right? I am enslaved to... And what Jesus says here is, no, you are not your sin. When you meet Jesus, when you encounter His grace, He sets you free. And you will still struggle, but it is no longer your identity. Your identity is Jesus Christ. And so this woman couldn't keep it in. This is why she said, look, come and and, and meet this man who told me all that I ever did. I have never experienced grace like this before in my life. And these folks, (laughs) they saw such an amazing change in this woman, just her spirit, her disposition, right? Because this was just, what, 20 minutes later? You know, it's not like her whole life had changed, but she had changed, right? And so she tells them, and they all said, well, we got to see this guy, right? We got to see that verse 30, they went out and were coming to him. They went out to meet Jesus. And so grace can't be contained. You just want to ask yourself, like, where are you experiencing Jesus, right? What's your one-line testimony, If you could put your whole experience of Jesus or a big part of your experience of Jesus into one line, what would it be? Right? He told me all that I ever did. Let me tell you what I mean. He gave me real purpose in my life. He gave me peace when everything else was in chaos. What's your testimony of Jesus? Share that. Share that with others. So grace can't be contained. Our second point is that grace includes you. Grace includes you. This is verses 31 to 38. The disciples come back and and they're pretty confused. Verse 27 is kind of where it starts. The disciples came back and they marveled that Jesus was talking with a woman. Right? That wasn't allowed back then. Men didn't talk to women. And this was a Samaritan woman. She was dirty, unclean. What's Jesus doing? They couldn't figure it out. They miss the fact that Jesus is reaching across barriers that religion won't. Jesus reaches out and includes people that religion won't. If you feel like you're not good enough to be here, then we have failed. Because Jesus welcomes everyone into his presence. And then it seems like the disciples kind of just want to let things go and get back to to business as usual, 
right? So the woman leaves in verse 31. It says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And Jesus is trying to help them understand there's a bigger thing going on. There's more going on. The, the disciples are kind of like the woman, you know, last, you know, at the beginning of this passage where she shows up. Jesus is talking about water. I'm sorry, Jesus is talking about something more than water. She thinks, you know, she's confused, and then she comes to it. Now the disciples turn. Like, they're the ones that don't really get what's going on, and Jesus is trying to help them. Um, Jesus is, they want life back to normal. Okay, like, they're just stuck on the food. But Jesus is saying, look, things are changing, and Jesus wants to include the disciples. Okay, and so what we see here, though, is that Jesus includes everyone. Okay, this harvest illustration in verses 35 to 38, it's just Jesus saying, there are people in this town that are ready to begin a relationship with God. And I need you to help me reach them. Okay, that's what he's saying to the disciples. There are people in this town. Jesus knows what's going to happen. This woman, her whole life was transformed. She's going with great joy to share the news. And Jesus knows that these folks are going to be ready to start a relationship with God. And he wants the disciples included. He's already said he's going to include the woman in his work. Look at verse 36. This is really interesting. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. Who is that? Who's the one who's reaping right then while Jesus is talking to the disciples? It's the woman. Right? Jesus has sown the seed. He's the sower. And the woman has gone to reap. Right? The woman, she's actually kind of sowing and reaping at the same time. There's people who are listening to her. Jesus knows there's people who are believing because of her testimony. So she's been included, which is really exciting. Right? 20 minutes after this woman encounters Jesus, she turns around and begins to tell others. Right? That's, that's how it works. If you experience Jesus, if you experience him today, if it's the first time or the thousand and first time, if Jesus says something to you today, if he speaks to a need in your life or says something that brings you comfort or peace in some way, you could turn around and tell somebody about it. Right? Not to be obnoxious, but just say, you know what? This is what happened to me today in church. And it's got me excited. I mean, that's how it works. So Jesus includes this woman She's already become one of the reapers. And Jesus wants the disciples to join in the work and he invites them in. Verse 38, I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered in to their labor. And so Jesus is saying, look, I'm laboring. I'm sowing the seeds of God's good news. This woman is sowing the seeds of God's good news. Let's go help these people. Let's go help these people know how they can enter into a relationship with God. Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to help somebody else start a relationship with God? We all need to be in a place where we can be ready to help somebody start a relationship with God. Right? If, um, if you have a friend who wants to know more about Jesus? Can, do you know how to answer them? Do you know how to be able to share with them so that they could begin a relationship with him? Right? If you're here today and you want to start a relationship with God because you want this grace that this woman has received, you can do it simply by praying. I mean, praying can be the mechanism, but it's just giving your life to him. 
It's saying, Jesus, I'm sorry that I have lived apart from you. I've lived apart from you, Lord, and I'm sorry. I confess my sins. I need your forgiveness. And so I trust that your death and resurrection can bring me forgiveness. And I'm going to follow you with my life. That's the commitment to become a Christian. That's what this woman, at some point in her interaction with Jesus, came to. And it's what she's now spreading. And Jesus is saying, look, let's go make sure these folks understand how they can come to know me. There's one other thing that I just is really powerful, I think, to me um, in, this, in this passage. It's verse 34. You know, they're trying to get Jesus to eat. And Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you know what that means? These are one of these verses where it would be helpful to take some time and really just sit and think about it. You begin to try to write out your thoughts about what that could mean. Jesus is saying, and he's actually inviting us to realize that God can satisfy like no food can. The greatest joy that life can deliver is found in living in a relationship with God. The greatest joy, the greatest satisfaction comes in living in a relationship with God. That has been my experience. It's been the experience of so many people who follow Jesus. That God brings this amazing meaning and purpose that that makes you feel like if, if I could be following what God wants me to do, I don't even need to eat. I think the flip side is also true. John Piper, who is an amazing preacher, pastor, author, he wrote this, which is the flip side of the greatest joy that you can experience in life is living in a relationship with God. He says, the flip side, he says, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied with him. So it's when you have that sense of God is so much more important than anything else to me in my life, that God is the most important thing, and that if, if I have a relationship with him, then that brings a satisfaction that really changes my perspective on the rest of my life. When you feel that way, God is just unbelievably pleased like that's kind of the goal that's maturity that we get to a place where for us doing god's will living in a relationship with him talking about his grace um, serving him loving other people because it's what he wants living in a relationship with him when we get to a place where that is more important to us than food then god is up in heaven 
grabbing the angels and said, hey, hey, check this person out. Check out Joe. Look at the way he's satisfied with me more than anything else. Right? This is what the book of Job is about. It's what God does. God says, hey, have you checked out Job? Job serves me because he loves me. That's what happens. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And I think this is the place, too, where we see the gospel come out loud and clear in this passage. Because, again, we see that what happens here in this verse is that Jesus is willing to forego food for himself so that other people can be in a relationship with God. Right, and here we see another way that this gospel in chapter 4 is foreshadowing the end of the story. Right, Jesus goes without food. He suffers hunger so that others might know God's grace and love. Right, to foreshadow what's to come because Jesus at the end is not just going to give up food, but he's going to give up his life so that you can be fed. So that you can experience the grace and the love of God. He goes to the cross and gives up his life so that you can be forgiven. Man, that's good news. That's good news. It calls us to strive to be at that place where you believe in your heart that God's will is more satisfying to you than anything else in your life. And it also calls you to jump in, to look and see where is God at work in people's lives. Jesus turns everyone into a harvester, right? God is at work. He's doing things in in people's lives. Find out what it is. He does the initial work and then he sends us because we have the relationships and we have our experience of him that can help lead people to know him too. And so God's grace includes you. Our last, our third and final point uh, is that grace brings people to Jesus. This is verses 39 to 42. Many people in this town believed, right? Verse 39. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus. And then we see in verse 41, many more believed. So it's like this whole town, hordes of people in this town began a relationship with God and they came to him in the two ways that it still happens today. Okay? In in verse 39, we sort of see the principle of go and tell. Right? Go and tell, because the woman goes and tells. And it says, verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So this this became like the tagline. This is the gospel now in Samaria, in this town of Samaria in Sychar. You want to know Jesus? Well, he'll tell you all that you ever did. It became the talk of the town. Um, She went and told, and these people came to believe in Jesus. Let me say this. There are some people who will believe in Jesus because of what Jesus has done for you. Okay, your experience of Jesus will be enough to convince other people that they want to know the Jesus that you know. Okay? You're going to share with them what Jesus has done for you, what he's doing in you. And there are people that you will lead to Jesus because of your testimony and experience of him. Okay? And so many people come to Jesus. Grace brings them because you go and tell. 
Now, the second thing we see here is, you know, what some have called the come and see principle. This is verse 42. Right? Many more believed in his word. Verse 42, then they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. And so these were the folks. So it sounds like some folks stayed in the town um, and believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And then other people, right, the the folks that came out of the town, um, that it says there in in verse 30, they left the town and were coming to him. They came to Jesus and heard for themselves. And so there are people in your life that you will lead by your testimony and your experience of Jesus. They will want to become Christians. There's others who will hear what you have to say, and they'll be willing to come and hear Jesus for themselves. Right? They'll come and hear him preached on Sundays. They'll come to a study where you're going to be looking at the word of Jesus. Um, they would come to hear Jesus lifted up in worship. Right? It's their experience of Sundays where they're going to come and see for themselves. And Jesus will speak to them as they come. Both of these groups, the go and tell group and the come and see group, both these groups will say, it's your testimony that started my journey with Jesus. It's because of what he's done in your life that I was curious enough to begin the process of exploring him. And they're going to say, now I've met him and I know that he is the savior of the world. That was the conclusion of this town in Samaria. And it's, it's really amazing because Jesus picks the most unlikely Samaritan so that all of the Samaritans would know that they too can be included. Okay? The Samaritans were this group of folks that were cast off by the Jews. They were looked at as, as sort of half-breeds and, and horribly unclean. Most of the Jews wouldn't even walk through their town or through their area. They'd go around in this really crazy circumnavigational way. Um, and Jesus went right into this town, right to this woman, and saved her and reached out to her and touched her with his grace so that the rest of the Samaritans would know that God has included them. That's good news for us, isn't it? Because no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've come from, Jesus is standing here today ready to welcome you and to give you his gospel of grace. If you will trust him with your life, if you will confess your sins, if you will trust that he died and rose again for you, then you will be saved. Friends, let's love our neighbors. Let's love our neighbors and help them. Go and tell them what you have experienced from Jesus. Invite them to come and see Jesus for themselves. And God will use us all to bring a harvest in San Diego that will bring glory and honor to his name. In those places where there is shame, God will put his glory and his fame. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that your grace draws near to us and brings your salvation. 
Lord, you know those places of shame and guilt. You know those places that we hide from others. Lord, both Christians and non-Christians are here today and they need you to put your grace in that place in their lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow them, that you would help people, help everyone in this room to see and experience and trust you. They would trust you with that portion of their lives, that they would give you their whole life and trust you with it. Lord, if we haven't experienced your grace, we have nothing to share. And so I pray, God, that you would renew your grace in us so that we could tell others the good news. Make us a people, Lord, that have experienced you so deeply, so powerfully, that we can just tell other people, hey, come see this man who has worked this way in my life. We pray this in your name. Amen.